Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, Christ Fellowship. How are we doing this morning? Oh, there we are. All right. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Pastor Carlos beat me to it. He did. He did. Uh, I don't know about you, but I just want to do a quick little sidebar really fast. Worship this morning was off the chain. I'm sorry. Worship. Let's give it up for worship band one more time. They did an amazing job. Them being used by God and letting the Holy Spirit flow through them during worship was just amazing. Worship is always amazing in Christ Fellowship, but I feel that God put a little bit of extra salt, a little bit of extra pizzazz on it this morning. <laughs> well, as PC mentioned, we are in the month of December. Christmas is all around us, as you can see. And for a quick little side note, uh, December is my favorite season of the year. It's my favorite holiday. Christmas is amazing. It's not because it's my birthday or anything like that, December 15th. It's just because it's a really, really great Time of the year. Everybody's such in a giving mood, such in a happy mood, such in a festive mood. You really see, like, you just really see, like, the love of God shining through everybody in this season. So as we continue forward, I just want to shout out everybody who's joining us online through our live stream. And a part of me right now, I have to be honest, a part of me right now is a little bit sad. And the reason why I feel that way is because we are at the very end We only have two weeks left. We're at the very end of the series that we have been tackling the entire year, which is going through the Bible, the whole entire Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We're almost, we're only a few books away and that's it. We're done. Just so you know, next year we're going to preach about the Bible again. But this, for this year, we're almost completely done with it and I'm excited. So as we continue our journey As we continue our journey, the book, the epistle that we are going to be talking about today, that we're going to be traveling through today is 1st and 2nd Peter. 1st and 2nd Peter. But before we go there, before we go there, I have three questions that I want to ask everybody who's here. Just three questions. It's multiple choice. Everybody can participate. And the reason why I want to ask these questions is because I want to get everybody's mind prepared for what Peter wants to talk about. I want to get everybody's mind. I want to get their heart. I want to get everybody active, primed for what Peter is going to talk about. And these questions, believe it or not, they are very relevant, very relevant to what Peter has to share with us today. So it's multiple choice. It's either A, B, C, or D, right? By show of hands, it's going to be the majority of whatever it is. They are, I don't want to say there's no wrong answers. There's just one that's more right than the other, right? Let's put it that way, okay? So you guys ready? You guys ready for the first question? All right, here we go. The first question, the first question is this. Hopefully it'll shine up right behind me on the board. The first question is this. It says this, which of these two things do not belong together? Which of these two things do not belong together? together. I have a funny feeling everybody's looking at D right now. I have a lot of friends who are Met fans. I just like to to grab the knife and twist it a little bit. We have some Yankee fans too. 
Where's Pastor Joel at? Where's Pastor? There he is. He's like, that, that's the biggest Met fan I know right there, Pastor Joel. All right, anyways. All right, so which of these two do not go together? Is it A, peanut butter and sardines? How many say A? That's, that's disgusting, right? Yeah, nobody wants that. How many of you say it's B, pineapple and ham on pizza? Anybody? Riley, you don't like pineapple and ham on pizza? That's my favorite pizza, by the way. So you know the answer is definitely not B. C, cereal and orange juice. How many of you say C? We got a couple. We got a couple. All right. And, and finally, D. Remember, these two things do not go together. Mets and championships. How many of you say Mets and championships? We got a couple. Oh, my. Oh, there's a couple of us. I, as much as my heart wants to give you the answer, and, and as much as I do want it to be D, it's not. The Mets actually won a championship back in like the 1800s when baseball was first invented. All right, so the answer, the answer is C. I looked it up on Google. Google's never wrong. <laughs> it's cereal and orange juice. And the reason why is because the acidity of the orange juice combined with the wheat and the fiber of the cereal is no bueno for their estomago. No bueno. You will be in the bathroom for a very, very prolonged period of time. It's not something you want to do. Cereal, and answer will C, cereal and orange juice. Okay, the next question. Question number two. This one's kind of a give me. It's kind of a give me, but, you know, I, just, I, I had to give you one. I had to give you one. Question two. Which of these two do not mix together? Which of these two do not mix together? How many of you say it's A, Smartphones and touchscreens. Uh, there's nobody raised. If somebody raised their hand, it's because you have a flip phone, and you will live in 1996. How many say it's B? Teenagers and video games. Uh, everybody knows those two go together. I should have said adults and video games. Some hands would have went up because. How many say it's C? Football fans and football fans. We have the World Cup going on right now. Any World Cup fans right now? Right, World Cup fans, I have no idea. I think USA lost yesterday, right? There goes my bracket. All right, how many say it's C, football fans and football fans? No? All right. And how many say it's D, oil and water? All right, that's all the hands went. That was a give me. That was a give me. That was a give me. All right, last one, last question. Question three. Which of these two do not react well together? Meaning that when you combine them, when you put them together, nothing good happens. Only bad things can happen when you put these things together. So which of these two things do not react well together? Is it A, fire and ice? Anybody? We have a couple of people. You didn't think you were going to get a chemistry lesson today, but trust me, it's coming. Fire and ice. Is it B, ammonia and bleach? I see Sonia Chacon over there. She's a science major teacher. She knows exactly what two things should not go together. Is it C, sodium, potassium, and water? Anybody knows what happens when you put those two things together? Or is it D, Christians and the world? How many say it's D? Not too many hands went up. The answer... Sorry, this one was a trick question. The answer is all the above. All of the above. Fire and ice. The only reason I know this is because I'm a firefighter. Fire and ice. If you put fire and ice together, the sudden shift in temperature, boom, it heats up the oxygen in one extremely fast way, and it explodes. 
and it sends shards of ice that are as sharp as glass through the air. So if you're next to it, when it happens, believe it or not, the ice can hurt you. Two, the second one, ammonia and bleach. When you combine these two together, it produces a vapor that is harmful to your lungs. It displaces the oxygen, it damages it, and you can asphyxiate, you can suffocate if you breathe it in. Sodium, potassium, and water. When you put sodium, potassium, and water, when you drop it into the water, it reacts violently and causes a really, really hard, huge explosion. And the problem with it is, is that it explodes so much that it jumps out of the water, but then it falls back in, and then it explodes again. It's very, very dangerous. D, Christians and the world. When Christians and the world are combined together, they become what is known as a lukewarm believer. A lukewarm believer. Someone who is in the middle, who is double-minded. Somebody who has one foot in the world and the other with God. They're not, they're not chasing so much, so to speak, after the things of the world, but they're not really grabbing on to God either because they're in the middle. One foot in the world and the other with God. And John says this about people who kind of live like this. It's in Revelations 3, verses 15 through 16. He says this. Well, Jesus says this. I know your deeds. That's Jesus talking. Jesus knows everything. He knows your deeds. He knows your motives. He knows your heart. He knows your motives behind the motives. He knows the decisions that you make with the motives that you have behind those motives. He knows everything. There is nothing hidden from God's sight. He knows your deeds. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are, what's that word? Lukewarm. Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I would rather have you be one or the other, but not somebody who lives like this, with one foot in the world, and one foot with me. Because if you are somebody who lives like that, I almost, I don't want anything to do with you. He says that I would spit you out of my mouth. And to be clear, Jesus isn't saying to leave the world alone, to not care about the world. He's talking about the sin that is in the world because we're called to preach to the world, but we're not called to chase after the sins of the world. So when he's talking about this, he's, mean, he's talking about somebody who is chasing after the things of the world and not chasing after the things of God. He's basically saying that we can't chase the world and we can't chase God at the same time. You can't do it. You can't serve two masters. You can't chase after the things of the world and you can't chase after God at the same time. These two things should never be put together. They should remain apart, separate. Because if we are living with one foot there and the other foot here, the reaction, the result is a lukewarm believer. And we just read about what Jesus says about those who are like that. 
And if we want to know how to not be a lukewarm believer, how to not have one foot over here and the other foot over there, one foot in, one foot out, if we want to know how to not get spat out, so to speak, well, that is what First and Second Peter is all about. How to live a life that's pleasing to Jesus. How to live a life that looks like you're chasing after him. How to live a life with both feet, not one over there, not one over here, but with both feet right here chasing after God. How to live a life like that. So here are some quick facts about First and Second Peter. First Peter has five chapters, and Second Peter has three chapters. We're going to kind of tackle them both at the same time. First Peter was written between 63 and 64 AD, and Second Peter between 65 and 67 AD. The exact dates aren't known, but they know that they fell within that time frame. And as you can see, they're pretty close in proximity to when they were written, maybe a year or so apart. A fun fact about Second Peter is that he wrote that letter, that epistle, a year before his death, a year before he was martyred. The style of writing that, we're, that we've been talking about for the past few weeks, actually, is an epistle. The author is obviously the Apostle Peter. The books are named after him. And one of the key verses... And one of the key verses that we're going to be talking about a lot, actually, is 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. It says this, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And we're going to be talking about that in just a few seconds. These epistles actually are pretty cool. These letters that Peter is writing to the people actually is pretty cool. They actually have different names that are attached to them. They have different titles. It's still First and Second Peter, but then it says First and Second Peter. It'll say the Epistle of Hope. Other scholars say you know First and Second Peter, the Epistle of Courage. Other people say it is First and Second Peter, the Epistle of Hope and Glory, and others say First and Second Peter, the Epistle of holy living. And that's the direction that we're going to be heading in today. The audience that he was writing to wasn't just one church. It was to all the churches in Asia Minor, as we know as modern-day Turkey. And as you can see, because it wasn't just for one church, it was for all the churches, Peter felt that the message that God had given him couldn't be just for one. It had to be for all of them in that province. He felt that that message was that important. It had to be circulated through every single one of them. And if he felt that it was that important for them back then, that every church had to read this, then it's no different for us. We need to know a lot about what Peter is talking about. Now, he talks about a lot of themes. He talks about a lot of themes. I'm just going to mention a few of them really fast. He talks about suffering. He talks about submitting to those who are above you. You know, anybody who is in a higher position than you or who outranks you, so to speak. He talks about the way that wives should conduct themselves towards their husbands and how husbands should conduct themselves towards their wives. He talks about doing good. He talks about living for God. He talks about the conduct of elders and young men. He talks about our calling as believers. He talks about all those things and so much more. But all of those things fall under the umbrella of one word. All of those things fall under the umbrella of one word. And that word is holy. 
That word is holy. It's actually the driving force behind both of his letters. Now, I don't want to scare you with that word holy because I feel even when I was growing up, I had a misconception of what that word really meant. And sometimes I think even for us right now, there needs to be a little bit of clarification about that because I think sometimes when we hear the word holy, we hear, oh, perfect. We, We hear perfect, but that's not what that word means. Sometimes we hear that word holy and we think, oh, well, uh, holy is this person over here. That person is so good. They do no wrong. That guy, that person is, per- that they're, they're good. They're 100% good. That's somebody who's holy. No, that's not what holy is. Sometimes we may even think that somebody who is holy is somebody who is morally pure. They won't do anything bad. Oh, that, that's Mr. Holier than thou over there. But that's not what holy means. The word holy is the word hagios. He said the word hagios. Hagios. Say it. Hagios. You speak Greek now. It's amazing. It's Greek. It means this. It literally means this. It means set apart, separated from sin, and consecrated to God. It means to be set apart, separated from sin, and consecrated to God. And when we take a look back at all the themes that Peter mentions in First and Second Peter, when he talks about the suffering, the wives and the husbands, the submitting to those above you, the living for God, our calling, how we should conduct ourselves, all those things, we have to realize that they fall under that word holy. Basically, in a nutshell, it's our lives. It's your life. It's my life. It's the way that we should be living our lives. We should be living our lives, conducting our lives, behaving as if we are set apart, separated from sin, and consecrated to God. Our marriages, think about this for a second for those of us who are married. Our marriages should be set apart, separated from sin, and consecrated to God. That is so important. It really means... If I want to just, in context, it really means that we should not be living our lives with one foot here and one foot here. It means that we should be living our lives set apart. That's how we should be living our lives. And Peter, he begins to give us this distinction, this set-apartness, so to speak. He tells us this in the first chapter of his first letter. He writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. He says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now, that word ignorance, I know some of us think that we think of that word. That word, what it really means is without knowledge, without knowledge. In this context, when he's talking about without knowledge, he's talking about without knowledge of God, without knowledge of Jesus. And every single one of us here has had a moment or a season in our life where we didn't know Jesus. It's the truth. Everybody here can relate to that. There was a time in our lives where we didn't know who God was. There was a time in our lives where we didn't experience who Jesus was. For me, just really quick to be honest, for me, it was the first 20 years of my life. The first 20 years of my life, I had no idea what God wanted to do with my life. I had no idea that God wanted to be involved in my life. I had no idea that Jesus had died on the cross for my sins, that he wanted to have a relationship with me. I knew none of those things. Basically, I lived in ignorance because I didn't know. 
But then his heart touched my heart, and from there it was a wrap. But every single one of us here, I almost guarantee it, we had a season of our lives like that where we did not know who Jesus was, and we were in ignorance. And because we were in ignorance, we lived our life a certain way. Let's be honest. Let's think about that for a second. We lived our lives a certain way. We lived our lives doing the things that we wanted to do, how we wanted to do them, with who we wanted to do them with, whenever we wanted to do them. We did. But Peter says that that we lived our lives with those evil desires. Now, what are those evil desires that he was talking about? In a nutshell, it's really easy. Anything that sets itself up against the word of God, anything that is contrary to the character and nature of God is evil, is sin. So if you had a desire that was not lining up with God's character, if you had to do something or wanted to do something that didn't line up with his word, guess what? That's what Peter is talking about. But what is he saying, though? He says that we should not conform, be a part of, live our lives as such, pattern our lives after, that we should not conform to the evil desires that we had when we lived in ignorance. Because why? Because we now know who Jesus is. And if you're somebody who's here right now or watching through the live stream that you don't know who Jesus is or you haven't had his heart touch your heart yet, my prayer is that by the end of today, you would make that decision to experience that. But that's what he is saying. He's saying that we should no longer conform to those things, that we should live our lives set apart with both feet planted on one side, chasing after God. I read this quote the other day, and I thought it was super cool. It's by this guy named Charles Spurgeon. He's a really popular old-school preacher. And when I say old-school preacher, I mean he didn't pull his punches. He was very, very blunt. He said it how it was, and he didn't really care what anybody thought about it. And these are his words, not mine. I want to just preface that really fast. And this is what he says. He says, if you can dwell with the wicked... If you can live as they live, if their practices are your practices, if their pleasures are your pleasures, then their God is your God, and you are one of them. There is no being a Christian without being shut out of the world's camp. There is no being a Christian without being shut out of the world's camp. Spurgeon is saying that there is no being a Christian without there being a distinction. There is no being a Christian without there being a difference between us and the world. Between us and the world. There should be a noticeable separation between the two. There should be a noticeable separation. The two should not go together. If our lives look like the lives of those who don't believe in God, if our lives look like the lives of those who don't care to know about God, if we're doing the same things that they're doing, then I think we need a heart check. We need a heart check. Maybe we're living like this, with one foot over here and one foot like this, lukewarm, saying 
that we believe in Christ, but our behavior, our conduct, the way we perform, the way we act, the way we do, the way we respond, the way we are with others looks no different than the person who doesn't even know God or Jesus. We need a heart check. And that heart check, to be honest, would look different. It would look different for every single one of us because each and every single one of our walk with Christ, it's different. It's not the same. Some of the things that God needs to check my heart with, he doesn't need to check your heart with. But some of the things that he needs to check your heart with, he doesn't need to check my heart with. It's different. It's not going to look the same for each and every single one of us. But when we are doing that heart check, which I really feel God wants us to do today, when we are really doing that heart check, we need to ask ourselves this one question, and it's this. What am I really chasing after? What am I really chasing after? Because here is the thing. When we are truly chasing after God, when we are going full tilt to intimately know who Jesus is, when we let him into our lives as the, the, the Lord and Savior, as a person who is on the throne of our hearts, as the main thing and nothing else is above him, when we live our life that way, when we are truly chasing after him, Holiness, hagias, that set-apartness and being consecrated to God, that naturally begins to happen. That naturally begins to happen because it's impossible to have your life touched by God and for you to be chasing after him. It's impossible to have that happen to you and not have your life change. It's impossible to have God come into your heart and speak to your life and bring you to a place and not have a noticeable difference between you and those who are around you. Chasing after God will naturally create a separation from us and from the things of the world. And in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, he writes to the church this very thing. And I really believe he's writing this to us right now for us to know. And when he's talking about this next verse, he's talking about the people who were in the church, what they used to do. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. He writes, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. It's not in my notes. But I really feel right now that like God is telling us that we've spent enough time in the past. We spent enough time back there. We spent enough time doing the things that the world wanted us to do. We spent enough time in the past. It's time to move forward. And then Peter lists off the sins that they were doing when they were living in the past. He tells this, he says, uh, uh, spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Now, we may not be able to relate to any of these sins right here, but I'm pretty sure if we took an inventory, we would be able to plug our own into this list, every single one of us. But look at what he says. He says that that's what they used to do. 
That's because they were in the past. And in the very next verse, the very next sentence, he says they. Now, when Peter says they, he's talking about the people who are in the world, not the people who are in the church. He says this. He says they, the people of the world, they think it's strange. The people who don't know God, who don't have a relationship with God. He says they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. And they heap abuse on you. That word dissipation, it means wastefulness. It means wastefulness. He's basically saying that the world, because of the way that you are now acting, because of the set of partners that you have in your life, because of your consecration to God, because Jesus has touched your heart and now you're chasing after him, there's, there's something different that is about you. And because you are no longer participating over here, the people who are over there, they think that your behavior is now strange. They think there's something different, something wrong about you. They don't understand it. When we choose to live a life marked by holiness, a life set apart for God, the separation between us and the world, it's noticeable. It should be noticeable. So much so that they will think that it is strange that you do not plunge yourself into the same wasteful things of the world that they are plunging themselves into, that they are chasing after. I remember back in the day, back in the day when I was young, I remember back in the day, back in the day when I didn't know Jesus, me and my boys, we would get together and we would have this little, little thing called Fun Fridays. And uh, apart from Fun Fridays, we had this other thing called uh, Fresh Friday Haircuts. Every Friday, we would go get a fresh cut because we was getting ready for the weekend. Contrary to popular belief, I had hair back then, Right? So every Friday, we would get a fresh haircut, and then Friday night, boom, Saturday night, boom, Sunday night, boom, Monday morning, oh, I'm so exhausted. I can't go to work. But that was my life for a very, very long time. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I was living it up, living it extravagantly, might I add. Now, here's the thing. God found me. God touched my heart. And I remember being in my room and praying to him, literally saying this. I'm not even, I'm not even kidding. Literally saying this. God, I don't know much about you. But for some odd reason, there's this thing that's happening and I can't ignore it. You're here. You're real. I know you are. There's this whole thing about sin and the cross. I, I don't fully understand it. But, but if you're real and if it's true, if you're real and if it's true, I want to live my life completely sold out for you. I do. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how it's going to look, God. But help me out. And I knew that whatever I was doing on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I knew a part of me was saying, listen, God doesn't want you to partake in that anymore. Whatever that was, that has to stop. And I remember the phone call as if it was yesterday. I remember calling my boys up. I'm like, yo, Ephraim, yo, Jose, yo, listen, uh, Friday, I'm out. Eddie, what do you mean you're out? We had, the, we had this whole thing planned. I'm like, no, I, I get it. Yeah, but I'm kind of out. I, I, I can't really do that anymore. Whoa, Eddie, you have the car. We need you. I was like, oh, really? That's the only reason why you want to be friends with me? Because I had a car? That's, that's not even right. Now I know I need to be away from you. No, but it was, it was, it was weird. I was, I'm, I'm like, guys, I can't partake anymore. Take a cab. Do something. You know, Uber didn't exist back then. I just dated myself. 
No, but I told her, I can't do it. And listen, and they were like, well, well, why? Tell us, Eddie, why can't you hang out with us anymore? We want a reason. And listen, I, I looked at the phone. I was like, because I'm choosing to follow God. Silence. And then after about 30 seconds, it was, yo, Eddie, stop being weird, man. Come on, what's wrong with you, dude? We need to be hanging out. We need to be chilling. I was like, listen, I'm, I can't do that anymore. If we we want to go watch a movie. We can do that, play some video games. We can do that. But those things, I can't do anymore. And they got mad. And they got frustrated. They got upset. They started poking fun, making jokes. Oh, Eddie's Mr. Holier than thou now. He can't hang out with us. Oh, oh, don't call Eddie for that. He can't do it. The Bible says not to. I don't regret it. I don't regret it. They made fun of me. They joked on me. They pranked me. All because they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. I tried to explain it to them, but they didn't understand it. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. And they heap abuse on you. When we choose to live a life marked by holiness, a life set apart for God, a life that chases after him, the separation between us and the world is going to be noticeable. God's work in your life, the way he moves in your life, the way he impacts your life, it is going to be noticeable. The process of his Holy Spirit transforming you more and more and more into the likeness of his son is going to be noticeable. And I think that's something that's very important for us to realize right now, that it's a process. It's a process. It's not a quick one, two, three, and boom, you're whole. No, it's not that. It's a process. And it's a process that is only able to be accomplished through Jesus. That's it, just through Jesus. The author of Hebrew, he writes this. In Hebrews 13, 12, he says, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people, what's that word? Holy through his own blood. What is the author saying here? He is talking about how Jesus had to suffer outside the city gates. He is talking about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and the suffering that he had to endure for our sins, for your sins, for my sins. He's talking about the one who had no sin, who became sin, who became your sin, who became my sin, just so that we would be able to experience his love, so that we would be able to experience his forgiveness, so that we would be able to experience a relationship with him. That whole set-apartness, that whole being separated from sin, it's possible because of what Christ has done. That sacrifice that he made on the cross for you and for me, it took away the sins of our past, it takes away the sins of our present, and it's going to take away the sins of our future. That is what the work of the cross has done. And because he took away our sin, there is now a path that is provided for each and every single one of us to be separated from sin. But it is only one path. This isn't Oprah. It is only one path. And the only way to get on that path is through him. 
It's through him. The process of hagias is able to take place in your life because of the work of the cross. Now, I want you to notice that word really quick, that word make in that verse. The word make right before the words, the people holy, right before that. That word implies that there is a a shaping, a creating that is happening. Not a quick one, two, three, not an immediate thing that is a shaping, a creating that is happening. But only through his own blood. In other words, in other words, only through Jesus. Only through Jesus is hagias possible. And there is a reason why all of this is supremely important to us. There's a reason why. Apart from being lukewarm, apart from being a lukewarm believer, there is something else that is even more important than that. It says this in Hebrews 12. 14, it says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be what? Holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If you want to see God move in your life, if you want to see God transform you from the inside out, if you want to witness God change the atmosphere of your circumstances, if you want to experience Jesus in a way that you have never seen, never felt, never heard, never witnessed, then holiness has got to be a part of your life, especially if you want to see the Lord. Could it be? Could it be that the reason why you haven't seen God move in your life yet or move in your life in a while is because this is what's missing? That set-apartness, that being separated from sin, that consecration to God. Could it be that the reason why you haven't seen God move in such a way is because you've been chasing after the wrong thing? Your feet have not been on the same side. Maybe you've lost sight of where your feet have been placed. Peter writes, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Be set apart, be separated from sin, and consecrated to God. If you're tired of having your feet misplaced, if you want to experience your heart being touched by the heart of God, if you want to live a life chasing after him, then I invite you forward to the altar as this song is being played. As this song is being played, I would invite you to worship like nobody is watching, to have a moment of reflection, to ask God to show you how to chase after him.
I would invite you to ask him, Lord, what would, you, what, would, what would me giving you my everything look like? What would that look like? God, if I gave you my entire heart, God, if I followed you in such a way that I've never followed you before, what would that look like, God? I invite you to come to the altar to ask God, God, separate me. Separate me, God. Search me, God. How can I have a heart for you, Lord? How can I have a heart that responds to your heart? How can I not live like that anymore? How can I not plunge myself into the same flood of dissipation that I used to in the past? How can I be set apart for that, for you? Lord, show me. Show me the things that I need to step away from so that I can have both feet chasing after you. So I invite you to come to the altar to have that moment of reflection, to think about what all those things would look like, to let God speak to your heart. Because I'm telling you right now, what God tells you, he's not going to tell me. What God tells that person, he's not going to tell this person. It's different for each and every single one of us. And I want you to think about that. What would your life look like if you had both feet chasing after him? Both feet. Come. The altar is open. Worship. I'll come back. We'll close in prayer. At the very end of 2 Peter, he is talking about the day of the Lord, when Jesus makes his return at the end of Second Peter. Peter says that everything will be destroyed and laid bare, but Peter never gives us a date because the date of when all of that is going to happen is not known to us. We don't know when that date is going to happen. Only Jesus knows when that is going to happen, when the day of the Lord is going to come. Only Jesus knows. But Peter poses a question to the people. He says this, since everything will be destroyed in this way, that it will be laid bare, that it will be destroyed, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. We don't know when any of that is going to happen. You don't know. I don't know. Nobody watching online knows. Nobody sitting in these seats or outside. Nobody knows when that is going to happen. But what kind of lives should we be living in the meantime? We ought to live holy and godly lives. A life that has both feet chasing after him. Jesus, we thank you, my God. We thank you for everybody who has come to the altar, my Lord. We thank you for everybody who is watching, who is seating right now, my Lord. We pray, my God, that we would live our lives set apart from you, my Lord, from this day forward that we would live our lives separated from sin and consecrated to you, my Lord. We know, Lord, that there's only one way 
through that, to that, my God. And it is through you, Jesus, God. We pray right now, my Lord, I pray right now over every single person, my God, that you would give them the passion to chase after you, my God. To not chase after the things of the world, my Lord. To not have both feet. To not be lukewarm, my God. But to have both feet chasing, running, gunning after you, my God. Such in a way, Lord, that they would be able to see you move in their life, my Lord. That they would be able to witness, hear you, feel you, experience you, my God. Move in such a way that they have never seen, felt, heard, or witnessed before in their life, my God. I pray that during this season of their life, my Lord, that they would do all that they can, my God, to chase after you, my Lord. To not be confused, my God. I pray against confusion, my Lord. To not try to mix with the things of the world, my God, but to be set apart from the things of the world, my Lord. For you, for your kingdom, for your purposes, my God, for your calling, my Lord. So that everybody would be able to experience your heart, my Lord. I pray, Lord, that your heart would touch their heart, my God, and that they would do their best to live everything for you, my God. We thank you. We love you. And in Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. Don't forget to chase after him. Have a great week in God. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.